Rocky Peak, Michael here, and great to be with you again as we uh, get to spend some time in the Word together again. And uh, hey, I know that uh, uh, Scott just talked to you about uh, Encounter, but I wanted to share one other thing about that, that, uh, you know, we've been uh, seeking the Lord since, uh, well, this whole year, obviously, but especially since the beginning of January, about uh, kind of sensing that God is calling us back to our campus to begin meeting indoors for our weekend worship center. You've been great. You've, you've given us some great feedback in the surveys. And so uh, at Encounter, I'll be sharing with you uh, our plans, kind of when we're coming back, how we're coming back. And so I hope you can join us for, uh, for the Encounter, whether it's, uh, you know, here on campus, inside, outside, or online. Line. Uh, we're looking forward to spending that time with you. But we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And so you're going to need your Bibles. You're going to need your, uh, your note sheet that you hopefully downloaded. And uh, if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. Let's pray together. So Father, we're just so thankful to be here uh, together. Although we're in different places, but we're together in spirit as we uh, gather around your word and continue this amazing journey through the gospel of John. And Father, we're just thankful that that one of the things you taught us uh, in the Gospel of John is that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, that he would be uh, bring to mind everything that Jesus said and teach us uh, what it means. And so we just pray that today the Holy Spirit would be here with us as we're coming and, and uh, circling around your word together. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Our story starts today in the, the middle of the desert. And... Uh, this is where they've been summoned, in fact, to this exact location. For the last couple of days, they've been preparing for what's gonna happen on this day. A perimeter has been set around the entire camp. Strict orders have gone out that no one crosses the perimeter on pain of death. And so this morning as they got up and the sun began to shine, it's a, it's a kind of a cool, cold, uh, spring morning in the desert. Now, they've, after they've had their breakfast and they're, they're prepared for the day, now everything is set for what's about to happen. But the reality is they don't know what's about to happen. They just know that they're to be here ready on the third day. And so as you walk through the camp, there's a, a mood of anticipation, uh, of excitement, and yet, on the other hand, fear and dread because they don't know exactly what's gonna happen. And all of a sudden, one of the men look up, and in the distance, he thinks he sees something. He's not sure, but he nudges his body, and, and they both begin to focus in. And all of a sudden, the hair on the back of their neck stands up, and they realize it's starting. Well, today we are continuing our new series that we just started a couple weeks ago called Signs, the Path to Life. And if you're brand new, I wanna welcome you. Um, this is a, a study, sort of a up, up close and personal, uh, in-depth study of the life of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest friends, confidants, a man we call John the Apostle John. And what John is, is doing in this gospel as he writes it towards the very end of his life is he's taking us on a journey. He's inviting us to go with him on a journey as he walks us through the story, the life, the teaching uh, of Jesus, but especially stopping to focus in from time to time on one of these signs, these miraculous signs that Jesus will perform 
that reveal uh, who he is and why he has come, and they reveal for us the path to life. And so today, we are continuing our study uh, in chapter one. If you were here last week, we kicked off the study uh, in chapter one by looking at the intro to the gospel, what uh, scholars call the prologue to the gospel of John. It's the first 18 verses. And uh, what John is doing, I had to explain this last week, it's, it's almost like, a, like the opening, uh, like, like attorneys uh, would do at the opening of a trial. When they are uh, at the very beginning, pr- they present their opening statements to the jury. And they're not so much presenting all the evidence that'll come later. What they're doing is they're weaving a story about who this client or who this defendant is and, and what he's done or claimed to have done. And, and they're telling the big picture story for you, weaving a narrative. Uh, and then they're going to, at the end of that, they're going to begin to present the evidence in the trial that hopefully leads you to the same conclusion that they've given you in this opening summary. And that's to a large degree, that's exactly what John is doing in the opening of his gospel. He's standing back from the life of Jesus, this man that he knew so well, maybe his closest friend. And uh, he's now 60, maybe 60 years later, 70 years later, looking back on what he learned from Jesus and what he's come to understand about Jesus. And he's sharing with us at the beginning of the gospel, his convictions, his conclusions, his big picture summary of who Jesus is and why he's come. And so today we're going to pick it up uh, at the, uh, where we left off last week at verse 14. So if you have your Bibles, you have your note sheets, uh, uh, you have your apps, go ahead and open up and turn on to uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1 of John and verse 14. So let's go ahead and, uh, let's, just for fun, let's go ahead and go back to verse one. We'll pick up a couple of verses. He says, in, in the beginning, in the beginning, so you can go back as far as you want in human history. He says, but when you get there, there was a person. And he says, this person, John calls him the word. And he says, this person was with God, so he was distinct from God. But in some mysterious way, he goes on and says, but in the, in the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. So he's the agent of creation. Without him, nothing was made. And so this is how John starts his, his, uh, his intro into the life of Jesus. That you can go back as far as you want in time, but when you get there, you're going to meet a person. And John says, I'm going to call him the word, in Greek, the, the logos. And he says that this person was with God, and he was God. He's the creator of all things. And of course, then later on, he's gonna make this amazing claim that sets Christianity apart from any other faith or religion, that there was a time and a place when this God who created all time and space entered into his creation, became a part of the human race. And that's why if we, we'll we'll, uh, now pick up at verse 14 where we left off last week. He says, so this word became flesh. There was a time and place where this word who was with God and was God entered into creation and became a human being. And he made his dwelling amongst us. Now, in the Greek, I pointed this out last week, what he literally says is he tabernacled amongst us. And we'll come back to that later today. But he said, the word became flesh, he made his dwelling, he tabernacled amongst us, and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son 
who came from the Father catch us full of grace and truth. And so in the same way that when God commanded Israel to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, and then once it was completed, God filled it with his glory, he says that when the word became flesh and tabernacled, we saw his glory. And John says, this is how I had, if I had to summarize the glory of God that we saw in Jesus, I would, I would summarize it in two words. The grace, this love and mercy we don't deserve, and truth, the truth that uh, sets us free. And now before he goes on and tells us more about this word, John is going to do a second sidebar on a very important person who's going to be his first witness that he's going to call to the witness stand in this case that John is building. He actually introduced him to us last week as well. His name is John the Baptist, and uh, he was this prophet that God sent before Jesus to prepare Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And so he says in verse 15, he, he wants to give us a sample of the type of testimony that John the Baptist will give about Jesus and who he really is when he calls John the Baptist to the stand next week. So here's a sample. He says, John testified concerning him. He cried out, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, if you were in Israel at the time of John the Baptist and the time of Jesus, um, you, uh, John the Baptist was the first person to burst on the scene and to make this amazing epic claim that the kingdom of God, long promised by the prophets of Israel, it was very near, it was about to happen. And it was John the Baptist that baptized Jesus. So if you didn't know better, it would look like John the Baptist was the key, uh, the key player in this story because he came first. But John the Baptist wanted to make it very clear that he who comes after me is surpassed me because he came before me, both in terms of his honor, but also as we've seen in the intro, in terms of time. And so then John the Apostle says in verse 16, out of his fullness, out of the fullness of the word, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Now, this is very hard to translate in the Greek. It's very hard to uh, understand really what John is saying for sure. If you read different translations, it will translate it differently. What it literally says in the Greek is that out of this fullness, we have received grace instead of, or grace in place of grace. And it's hard to know exactly what John is referring to, but it seems, based on the context, as we'll see in just a minute, that what he's saying is that, that God had graced the nation of Israel. He'd given them Moses, he'd given them his law, which leads them in the path of life. But with Jesus, when Jesus came, the grace that Jesus brought surpassed and replaced that grace. And so he goes on to say in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, which was a tremendous gift of grace that pointed the path of life. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ in his fullest sense. And then he wraps up this, this intro by saying, no one has ever seen God. Now this was axiomatic in, uh, in Jewish circles. 
There are many times in the Old Testament the belief was if, to, if you saw God in all his fullness, you would die. And so there are times in the Old Testament where Moses or one of the, the prophets is said to have seen God, but that was understood to me to be seeing him in a partial sense, in a visionary sense, not in all his fullness. And so John says that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. That this word who is with the Father has come to make known who the Father is, right? And with that, he wraps up this passage. Now, with that, John wraps up his intro, his opening statement to the jury. This is the story I'm about to tell you about this amazing person, this word who is with God and was God, who's a creator of all things, and at a certain point, specific point in history, entered into time and space to, to give us life, to rescue us. And uh, from this point on in the gospel, John will be now, uh, as were his jury, John will be presenting the evidence, the life, the teaching, and especially uh, focusing on the signs that Jesus performed that reveal who he is, why he came, and the path to life. And so we'll be continuing that next week as he calls his first witness to the stand, who is John the Baptist. But for today, I want to stop here, look back at this intro to John's gospel, and I want to ask a very simple question. The question we asked last week is, how big is your Jesus? Who is this word that came? The question I want to ask this week is, why did this word come? According to John, why did this word who is with God and was God, the creator of all things, why did he enter into time and space? And so there in your note sheet, there is a section called signs, the claims. And I want to highlight two, the two claims that John is making in this intro that speak this, why the word became flesh. Why did he, why did Jesus come? And so the first one is fairly straightforward, but we're gonna see it all through this gospel time and time again. What John tells us in this intro is that the first reason that Jesus came was he came to give us life. He came to give us life. Now when I talk about life, uh, Jesus is gonna use a term for this life. Jesus and John will both use this term for this life over and over again. Sometimes they just call it life, but often they call it eternal life. Now, uh, if you grew up in church, you grew up in Sunday school, chances are when you hear the word eternal life, you think living forever, like life after death, living with God forever, never dying. And of course, that's a part of eternal life, but especially in the Gospel of John. When Jesus refers or John refers to life or eternal life, they're referring to something much bigger. They're referring to, yes, the a quantity of life, a length of life, yes, but they're talking about a quality of life. It's the life of God himself, the life that we were designed to live, what I often like to call life with a capital L. Now, Earlier in this intro, John told us this. 
I don't know if you remember, but last week he said there was a time when this, uh, the word that became flesh, he entered into human history. And it says, but he came, when he came to his own, he came to his own creation, he came to his own people. It says, when he came to his own, his own did not recognize him. They didn't, not only was it incognito, but they didn't really like recognize his authority in their life. They didn't want to know him. And then he said in verse 12, and this is there in your note sheet, he says, but to those who did receive him, in other words, received him as their God, their creator, their, uh, their, their Messiah. To those who re- did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And he goes on to say children not born like in a physical sense, not, not from a husband's will or, or from a decision, a human decision. Uh, he said, I'm not talking about being born according to the flesh. He said, but they're born of God. And of course, when we get to chapter three, we'll learn more about this as Jesus talks and says, you, you have to be born again. That if you're gonna become part of my kingdom, Something has to happen to you. Uh, A new life, a life of God has to be poured into your life. You have to be born again of the Spirit. So Jesus, throughout this gospel, and this is what you're going to see, that the the opening intro to John is just kind of telling you what, what we're going to see as we go through the gospel. And this is a great example that uh, Jesus will use many different word pictures and metaphors to describe this supernatural life that comes from the spirit, that changes us from the inside out, that uh, he calls eternal life. So for example, in chapter three, he will say, as I just mentioned, you have to be born again, new life. When we get to chapter four, he will talk to a woman at a well, and he will say that, uh, that, the, that if you believe in me, I will give you uh, water that will satisfy the deepest, quench, uh, uh, deepest thirst of the human heart. And he says it will spring up and become a water of life, a living water. So he uses that metaphor. When you get to chapter six, he talks about uh, after he had fed the 5,000, he will, he will talk about the bread of life that he will give to the world. When we get to chapter eight, he will talk about that he has come to give us the light of life. Like we're in the darkness and he's come to give us the light that will lead us to life. When we get to chapter 10, one of the most famous examples, he talks about how he's the good shepherd and we as his followers are his sheep. And he says there in your note sheet, I have come, why has Jesus come? I have come that they might have life, this life with a capital L. And he goes on to describe it as have it to the full. And so I want you to catch the first thing, why has Jesus come? He's come to give us life. But I want you to catch the implication. What Jesus is saying is that apart from him in our life, we do not have life. We do not have the life we were designed to live. As the Apostle Paul will say in his letter to the Ephesians, that before coming to Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sin, following the ways of this world. And so what we're gonna see is that Jesus is coming to give us something we don't have, and he's to lead us back to the path of life. Now, number two. The second reason that John says Jesus came in this intro is that Jesus came to reveal God. 
He came to show us who the true God is and how to have a relationship with this true God. Now, John says this in several different ways in this opening intro. Uh, He says it first simply by the word that he chooses to describe Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the what? Was the word. This is not an accident. How do you know what I'm thinking? How do I know who you are? Unless we sit down and we share our hearts, and how do we do that? We share it via our words. And when I speak my words, I'm speaking myself to you. I'm revealing myself, assuming I'm being honest, that when I speak my words, reveal who I am. And your words reveal back who you are. And so John has carefully chosen this word that when Jesus came, he is the word. He's the one that reveals who God is. But we see this also in verse 14. This verse I pointed out as we went through. Let's look at it again. He says, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us. Remember what I said in the Greek John says literally he tabernacled amongst us. So what John is doing is he's tapping into an Old Testament image, a metaphor, a type if you will, that help us to understand who Jesus is and why he came. And to understand this image, we need to go back to the story that we started the day with. Remember we started the day with the story of this this team of men who are out in the desert and they're they're camped there. They've been there, now this is their third day. They've been summoned to this exact location for reasons they don't fully understand. They've been warned there's a perimeter around the camp that if they cross over that, they will be put to death. Well, this is a true story. It's a true story from the life of Israel. It's told in Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20. And we won't go back there, but what happens in the story is that Israel had recently come out of slavery in Egypt. God had recently rescued them from slavery, led them through the Red Sea, destroyed the Egyptian army. And two months after leaving Egypt, they arrive at a mountain that will become very famous. It was called Mount Horeb, or we know it as Mount Sinai. And so when they got there, God said to Moses, I want to appear to the people. I want to enter into a covenant with them, much like a marriage, where I will be their God and they will be my people. God says, I'm coming to propose. And so they're For three days, they were to prepare for this. In the morning of the third day, sometime at some point in that day, all of a sudden, God comes. And it's just an awesome display of power as the king comes to his people. And so we're told that he comes in a dark cloud and he descends upon the mountain and it looks like, a, like, a, like the mountain's on fire. It's a chimney going, like a smoke going up from a chimney. And there's thunder and there's lightning and there's the sound of a ram's horn like announcing the coming of the king. And there's a huge, tremendous earthquake and the people are terrified. And out of this dark cloud, God speaks to the people and he invites them into covenant. 
And after all they'd seen of this God, how he'd rescued them from slavery in Egypt, how he destroyed their enemies, how he provided for them in the last two months, they were all in. They said, yes, we want to enter into this covenant. We want you to be our God and we want to be your people. But they said to Moses, but he's scaring us to death. Like, we're about to die. Why did you go up and talk to this God on top of the mountain? Why did you go up into the dark smoke and the fire and the earthquake and you tell us what he has to say? And so that's exactly what happened. Moses went up for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of this story, when he comes back with what, they're, what this covenant is about and what they're to, kind of the fine, fine, point, fine points of the covenant One of the first things that God told Moses to do, one of his top priorities, is God said, I want to live with my people. I want to move in like like a husband and a wife, moving in together to a new place. And God said, the people, they live in tents, and so I want you to build a very special tent for me. And it's often called the tabernacle. Sometimes it's called the sanctuary. Sometimes it's called the tent of meeting. But this is where God would meet with the people. And so he gave very elaborate instructions to this very special tent. And all the instructions were highly symbolic. And uh, finally, after about 10 months, they finished building this elaborate tent. And once they built it, God said, I want you to put it right in the center of the nation. Three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west. I want to be right in the center. What a beautiful symbolism. I want to live with you in the center of your life. And once they had had it all set up, then God came in power and glory, and he filled, uh, his glory filled the tabernacle so much that Moses couldn't go in. You'll read about it in your life group study this week in Exodus chapter 40. And so from that point on, there was this cloud of glory over the tabernacle. And uh, there was a fire in the cloud by night. And when the cloud would move, the, the nation would move to their next location. And when the cloud would stay still, they would stay still. Such a beautiful picture of this relationship God wants with all of us to come and live in our lives and for us to be, become the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that when he moves, we move. And when he stays still, we stay. It's just a beautiful picture. Well, this is what John the Apostle is drawing on. And he said that in the same way that the tabernacle was built and then we saw the glory of God, that God was revealed. God spoke. God led us from the tabernacle. That when Jesus came, he is the ultimate tabernacle. Sometimes we talk about something in the Old Testament that foreshadows a greater reality that will come in the New Testament. And we call that a type. The tabernacle was a type of the true tabernacle when God would come to dwell with us uh, in not in a tent but in a body. And John says that when, we, when that happened, we saw his glory. And notice what he says there in verse 14. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, and then he, has to, he says, and here, if I only have two words to describe the glory of God, what we learned about God in Jesus, he said, I would use the word grace, and I would use the word truth. It's love that we don't deserve, and uh, this truth that sets us free. So you see there on your note sheet from Exodus 25, this is what God said, 
have them make a sanctuary for me. Remember what I said, sometimes it's called sanctuary, sometimes it's called tabernacle, sometimes it's called tent of meeting, and I will dwell with them. And so John picks this up. Why did Jesus come? He came to reveal the Father. He's already told us that Jesus is the word that reveals the Father. Now he's told us he's the tabernacle that reveals the glory of God. And then in verse 18, he wraps up this entire uh, uh, intro by saying, no one has seen God, but God, the one and only Son, who's in the, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, catch us, has made him known, right? There was a time and there was a place when the God who created all time and space entered into his creation, became a part of the human race to reveal himself and to give us life. The two reasons he's come to give us life and to reveal what God really is. And of course, these two reasons are related because the way we experience and enter into this new life is through a relationship with the true God who is really there. Now, this leads us then to an important question. You remember last week, we learned about uh, who Jesus is and we ended up with the question, how big is your Jesus? This weekend, we're focusing on why did Jesus come? And I want to ask a different question. And the question there on your note sheet goes like this. What do you believe about God and why? Now, this is one of the most important questions that we could ever ask. There's a great quote that we included this week in your life group study from A.W. Tozer that basically says if we, could, if we could accurately discern what comes into your mind when the word God is used, we could accurately predict your spiritual future. One of the most important questions that we could ask is not only who Jesus is, but who do we believe, what do we believe about God? Why do we believe it? Now, here's the reality is that every one of us, every human being, has an opinion about God. Even someone who might say, even someone who's an atheist, or might say, I'm an agnostic, uh, they have a strong opinion about God. Either that there is no God, there's not enough evidence for a God, or that uh, there may or may not be a God, we just don't know. So every one of us has uh, opinion. Uh, something we believe about who God is, and we have reasons why we believe it. But the question is, for you, is what do you believe about God, and why do you believe it? One of the most important questions I could ever ask you. And what John is claiming is that there was a time and place when the God who created all time and space, entered into creation, became part of his race to reveal himself. That if you want to know what God is like, he's revealed himself in Jesus. Jesus is what God is like. And John says, furthermore, if we had to boil it all down, he said, what did I learn about the glory of God? 
by looking at the tabernacle of Jesus. He said, if I had to boil it all down, I would summarize who God is with two words, grace and truth. In fact, he says this two times. I want you to open your Bibles to chapter one again. And I want to point this out. In verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. He tabernacled amongst us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Full of grace and truth. And look at verse 16. Out of his fullness, this fullness of the word, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Twice he says this. And as we go through the gospel of John, we're gonna see how important these two words, these two descriptions of God are. And I want you to, to catch, they're never separate. It's never grace or truth. It's always grace and truth. They go together. This God that Jesus is revealing is a God of grace and truth, and they're never separate. They're like the two wheels of a, of a wheelbarrow. They're, you never see one without the other. They're like the two guardrails on a, on a Santa Susana that, uh, there's, that they always go together, right? Two rails as you climb up Half Dome. You get to the top, the two metal rails, cables, they always go together, truth and grace. Let me give you an example. When we get to chapter eight of John, we're gonna be introduced to a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. And she's brought by the religious leaders to Jesus and they ask him, what should we do with this woman? She's been caught in the very act, right in the act of adultery. They said the law of Moses, remember we just said law of Moses versus grace and truth. The law of Moses says that we need to stone this woman. What do you say? Now, as, as we will see when we get to chapter eight, a long time from now, as we will see that they're really putting Jesus in a difficult spot, hoping to get him into trouble, either with the people or with the Roman government. But Jesus disarms them, and he humiliates them, and he sends them away. They, they, they kind of, they walk away with their tails between their legs. And all that's left is Jesus and this woman who is caught in the very act of adultery, of which the law said, stone her. And Jesus says to her, woman, where are those people that condemn you? And she says, there's no one left. And he says, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. We see grace. But then he follows up with go and sin no more. He delivers the hard truth that she needs to hear to move into the future God has for her and find the freedom that she's longing for in her life. Remember he said that you will know the truth. And later in John 8, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so what we see in Jesus is this beautiful combination of grace and truth. 
And this is what Jesus does when he enters into our life. He always comes revealing the Father, this beautiful blend of grace and truth. A grace that says, I always care more where you're going than where you've come from and what you've done. But a truth that always says, I will always tell you the truth, even the hard truths, because it's the truth that sets you free. So the question that I'm asking is, what do you believe about God and why? What John is saying is if you want to know the truth about who God is and how he thinks and how he feels and what's important to him and what our priorities are, you need to look at Jesus because Jesus is the word. He reveals the truth about God. Now, this is so important because all of us, you, me, all of us, we have this natural human tendency to create God in our own image. Have you ever found that your view of God, that your God tends to always agree with you on everything? Is that it's just very natural for us that we tend to base our view on God based on what we think, how we've been raised, what we've been taught, what's popular in culture. And sometimes our view of God can be too hard, too harsh. And what we need to see in Jesus is this grace of God that says, neither do I condemn you. I know as, even as believers, many times we can struggle with sins we've committed or weaknesses in our life that we are just so ashamed of and we're just convinced that though we've come to Christ and confessed our sins that we can never really be what we were created to be. The past will always hang over our head, that God will always hold. He may say that he forgives us. And the enemy has a field day with our life as he brings condemnation in our life. But on the other hand, sometimes our view of God can be too soft. And we ignore the clear teaching of Jesus about sin and about righteousness and about the judgment that's coming, about heaven, about hell about truth and air, human sexuality, gender theory, whatever it is, that our view of God is way too soft, that we've embraced a God of grace that has no standards of truth or righteousness. I've heard it said, maybe you have, maybe you've said this, I can't believe, you'll hear someone say, I can't believe in a God that will fill in the blank send someone to hell, not want me to be happy, who would restrict my sexuality in any way. And what we see is that, well, if your God is revealed in Jesus, then you've obviously, you'd see that you obviously have the wrong God. Sometimes uh, someone might say, you know, my Jesus would never, and you fill in the blank. And the reality is often my Jesus is just a projection of me. And the question is not what my Jesus would do. The question is what, would, what did the real Jesus do? What did the real Jesus say? 
And so John lays a foundation for us right as we start this series. He says, I want to tell you about the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He's the creator of all things. But believe it or not, there was a time and a place when he entered into time and space to reveal God and to give us life. And what we'll see in this series is as we listen to the real Jesus who reveals the real God and we follow him, we listen and we follow him, he will lead us to the truth that sets us free. And in that, we will discover the life we were created to live, eternal life, life with a capital L. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the beauty of your word. We thank you for Jesus, the word made flesh, and the way he reveals you to us. And so, Father, we pray that as we continue this series, as we continue this journey, that we would like slowly discard our views of you that are too harsh or too soft, the views that have been more reflection of our upbringing or our culture, and we would discover the true God through Christ, the God that has come to rescue us, reveal himself, and give us life through Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.